Great. Well, good morning, everyone. Most of these props here are mine, but, but for some reason, this is up here, and I'm stumped if I know what it's for. Okay. I'm uh, I definitely unmuted. Am I... Am I any better now? Good, that's great. Okay, good. Well, I have the privilege of wrapping up uh, this summer's teaching, really, in a sense, because we're coming to the end of a series which we started with the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and then we've gone through selectively uh, portions of Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5, 6, and 7, as we've been considering the teaching of Jesus in this very famous sermon. The thing is that this message, like everything else, is somewhat counter-cultural. So we've got here at the end these words, standing off, therefore. Whenever you say therefore, you're always referring back to something. And Jesus is now referring back to this sermon that he's been preaching to this crowd of people on a hillside, probably in Galilee. And, and I don't know about you, but countercultural just seems different, doesn't it? Have you ever traveled somewhere where the culture is different and you just can't quite adjust to it easily? Uh, and, and, and this is one for me. When I go to Romania, every meal except for breakfast has soup. Uh, and my Romanian friends say to me, if it's not soup, it's not Romania. Okay, so that, that's something that's sort of countercultural, countercultural experience for me. But I think there are other experiences which are more different and more jarring. We have some uh, people we know who've relatively recently moved to this country, and I asked them what their experience was, what have they noticed that was different, and they said, the drivers here are much more polite. <laughs> they let you out into traffic, and so on. That was not what I was expecting. <laughs> And I think we should send them to London and try driving there, shouldn't we? Um, but Jesus has been preaching and teaching, and everything he has said has been rocking the mindset, the cultural boat, if you like, that the people, his listeners, sit in. It has been radically transformational because it is so different from what the religious leaders preached and, and the way they approached it. So over these weeks, we, we've looked at the Beatitudes, the ones that start, blessed are the poor in spirit. We've considered salt and light and how we as believers should be living. We've thought about anger and murder and Jesus teaching how the one is as bad as the other. We've talked about loving your enemies and we've talked about Things like um, the eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, which was a restriction uh, um, that God had put on for the Old Testament, and Jesus talking uh, in completely different terms. Loving your enemies. And then um, treasures in heaven, uh, storing up your eternal treasures in heaven rather than on earth. We, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we considered about judging others. And then last week, as we talked about the... Uh, broad and narrow way. We thought about the two gates, two different choices. And in the passage between that and the passage we're looking at today, Jesus once again is creating a bit of a divide because he talks about 
two types of prophets, true prophets and false prophets, and two types of disciples, those who are serious about following him and those who claim to be followers of Jesus but are not really. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And so it's with that background that now we come to this passage. That's about the two builders. And one of the things we should notice is that there are only two kinds of builders. And they form a striking contrast. And Jesus is constantly dividing people into two classes. He's not trying to be nice and say, well, everybody will be okay in the end. He makes a clear distinction between those who are true followers of him and those who are not. And we need to be aware of this, that sometimes, especially here in the south of England, we we don't like to offend people. We like to be so culturally sensitive and so on. And and so if we take this teaching of Jesus seriously, it's a bit, you know, in our face. It's a bit heavy going uh, to take it quite as um, strongly as Jesus actually spoke. So, for example, in in other passages, um, Jesus talks about, in Matthew chapter 6, about the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And he says, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In chapter 7 last week, enter through the narrow gate, and so on. And we read the, uh, in the verses preceding this passage, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. In Matthew chapter 10, he says, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And on and on, Jesus is drawing contrasts between those who are true followers of him and to put into practice what he teaches and those who are just playing the game or choosing to ignore him. Now Jesus, though he was born in the south of the land in Bethlehem, spent most of his life up in the north in Nazareth and growing up into adulthood in Nazareth and a good part of his ministry was up in the north in Galilee. So you can see uh, a map of the Holy Land here. Down the bottom um, right, uh, bottom right is the Dead Sea. And about 65 miles north, you'll find the Sea of Galilee, which is named after the region. Luke calls it the lake because he's traveled on the sea and realizes it's just a big pond, really. It's about 13 miles from north to south and, and nine miles wide. And so traditionally... The, the location of the Sermon on the Mount is somewhere here on the northwest side. Now, we know that's true because there's a church being built there. But anywhere you think that something Jesus might have done, you go in the Holy Land, there's a church. So we don't really know where it is, but uh, there is a lovely scene there. If you uh, go there, there it is from the grounds of the church, just overlooking the uh, Sea of Galilee. And it is a lovely, tranquil spot and actually one of the uh, nicest, plainest and simplest churches Uh, that you'll ever visit there. So Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on 
the rock. Now, in, in this particular area, there are quite a number of properties, old properties, that have been built without significant foundation. In fact, I can remember a number of years ago over at Westbourne Baptist Church, we decided to dig a new baptistry. And as we dug out next to one of the walls, we discovered the foundation was three bricks deep. That was it. There was nothing else. But the building had stood for 120 years at that stage, and so it probably wasn't going to fall down. Uh, but essentially, the, the compacted um, clay and, and flint soil was a pretty good foundation. But, but that isn't necessarily true everywhere you go. And uh, certainly in the region around Galilee, some of these soils quite sandy. And, and so Jesus, as he was talking about this, uh, would probably have had some experience. That, you know, he was a builder, wasn't he? You know, carpenter, mason, stone mason, whatever. Um, and so you would have expected him to have some familiarity with this. Uh, and, and it was very likely that a good builder would dig deep before they started to build up. And he's drawing here this radical contrast between two builders. The first builder is sensible. He has foresight. He understands that the dry season will not last. Soon the sky will become dark and the cloud, storm clouds will arrive. His house will be deluged by the rains. It will be battered by the winds. And unless precautionary measures are taken will be washed away by the rising, swirling tide. We moved house in April, and one of the uh, things we noticed was that our patio is very slightly higher than the next doors. Uh, and on our garage, there is a drain pipe, and the drain pipe comes down about uh, halfway down to the ground and then just stops. So all the water from the garage roof was running off and then into our neighbor's garden. We'd had a, an amicable chat about this. So bought a water butt a few weeks ago. Uh, and the first stage was to actually, it was about two, a week and a half ago, we were forecasting really heavy rain Thursday overnight. So, so I rigged up a pipe into the water butt, 210 liters. And by the morning, it was overflowing. So that was just stage one. I've got a bit more work to do yet to make sure it reroutes. But uh, it, it, heavy rain, just you notice, we've had a bit of that lately, haven't we? Miserable summer. Now imagine rain that's much heavier than some of the stuff we've had. Because the Holy Land is known for its torrential rains that often cause disastrous floods. And we've got an example here in March of 2014. So that was before smartphones got really good, so the quality of the video isn't necessarily brilliant. Um, here's an example. The River Zin, which drains into the Dead Sea, is about 75 miles long. It runs through the Negev Desert in southern Israel. And though it's referred to as a, a river, can you see that it's most of the year, in fact, year on year, is a dry river bed. But they'd had a bit of rain in the hills. Uh, just before this video was, was, was um, taken. Be patient. So everybody's come out to see this because it was such an unusual thing. You think nothing's going to happen, don't you? She's 
So imagine building your house in that dry riverbed on the sand, thinking nothing's going to happen. There are no consequences. Well, I don't know if you've uh, ever camped in the rain. And do you remember, nowadays, so many more tents have got built-in ground sheets, haven't they? But do you remember those days when they didn't even exist? Uh, and, and it just started pouring down. You had to go out and dig a trench around the tent to stop the water coming in under the tent flap and over your ground sheet and soaking everything there. Well, in, in a sense, you can imagine the, the, the need to take evasive action. My brother's looking at me at the moment because he knows how long it is since I camped. But, uh, uh, but uh, let's think about the other reaction. Jesus said, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So in contrast to this wise builder, Jesus is using this parable to bring the sermon on the mount to a close. He's calling for his audience to decide between himself and the religious establishment for whom uh, there was just a surface righteousness built on an unstable foundation of religious pretense. The evidence, Jesus says, for whether one is truly a believer is in whether one does the words of Jesus uh, and, and that is you've got to believe and then behave. Disciples who build their lives on the bedrock of Jesus and his message of the kingdom of heaven are truly wise regardless of the shifting cultural or religious founda- um, uh, preferences of the day. Now, I, I, I'd like to try a little demonstration. There is a real risk that things could go seriously wrong here, but we, we've got a couple of, 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 of um, building blocks here that we, get, we can use. So um, I, I don't know if the camera can pick this up. I'm just going to just rebuild this little bit here. So I, I'm, I've got some sand in here, and, and I'm going to uh, build a house on the sand here. Well, not quite a house, but at least a little bit of a tower. It's a bit unstable already, I have to say. There we go. So we've got the house on the sand, and I think I'll just move that out of the way. And I have some water here. Can we get any camera on this? No, you see already, that's how unstable it is. Didn't need to do much at all, so let's just try the rebuild. It just makes the point just that much easier, doesn't it? I don't even have to pour the water on it. Well, let's see if I can get this. There we are. Let's try. <laughs> I told you there was always a risk, but we will give it one more go. Just the table is a little bit wobbly, so that's uh, part of the problem, isn't it? I think you're getting the idea of just how unstable a building like this could be. Now, remember, there weren't the strict building regulations in those days, so there was a, houses were built much more, dif- uh, you know, 
but much less. There we go. Yeah, it doesn't take much at all, does it? Sand. Okay. Now, now over here, I happen to have some rock. Actually, it's post-creep, but you know, it, it, it is. Um, it'll do the job, I think. And if we try this, let's see what happens this time around. How's that? Okay. So it's a very simple choice, isn't it? What do you want to build your life on? Do you want to build it on the teaching of Jesus, or do you want to build it in a less convincing way, uh, following your own preferences of the easy options? You see, the storms are coming your way. For every person, the tests, the crises come. Trials like Job had in the Old Testament, or trials of temptation, of bereavement, of illness, of death, of losing your job, relationship breakdowns, all of these are trials that we face, and often they happen suddenly. But building on the countercultural teaching of Jesus, which starts off in the very first beatitude, telling us that we must recognize our spiritual poverty. And when we mourn over our sin and rebellion against God and come to Jesus on his terms, then, having received his forgiveness, choose to live and build our lives, build into our lives his teaching, as we've been hearing this summer, then we are prepared for the storms of life. Then we are able to stand firm in our faith. And even in the day of judgment, it will be for us who live his way a day of triumph. Because we are all builders. I, I um, with, with, with help from some others, I have done more work with cement and concrete in the last couple of weeks than I've ever done in my life before. And yesterday I had over 200 bricks delivered uh, and 12 bags of sand, and that's why I could have all this here, but just I know what's coming. But actually, it's, I feel really uncomfortable. I'm out of my comfort zone. But in life, every one of us is a builder. And Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and he says this, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and that's where he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and led people to repentance and faith. He said, and someone else is building on it. But each of us should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet but yet will be saved, even as though one escaping through the flames. He's now talking to Christians, people who've got the foundation of Jesus Christ, but what are you doing with the teaching of Jesus and the way you live? Because if you choose to take the 
rather casual approach, um, a, a, a part-time discipleship, and you choose that I don't really want to follow seriously and take, embed the teaching of Jesus into my life each day, each week, each month, each year, then you're like this builder who builds with wood, hay, and straw. You set a match to it, and it's, there's nothing left except the foundation. Sure, you're saved. You have your place in God's kingdom, but without the rewards that are there. But if you choose to follow Jesus and take seriously his commands and live them out in your life, then you'll find that the rewards are eternal. This is the way Jesus finishes. Well, Matthew finishes his account. He says, when Jesus had finished saying these things. Actually, that's a bit of a formula. Matthew uses it five times at the end of each block of teaching of Jesus. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Um, The the translation doesn't actually include these words, but, but, but it is, there's a level of surprise that the word amazed doesn't really uh, provide. Um, I'd, it, it, it's literally, they were struck out of themselves. We might say they were gobsmacked, dumbfounded, stunned, astonished, amazed, stupefied, flabbergasted, shocked, dazed, bewildered, dumbstruck, speechless. This was unlike anything they'd heard before. Jesus is different because he speaks differently from the way the authorities speak, who often have memorized the teaching of other teachers and just quote them and pass it on. This is a man who wasn't just speaking with the voice of God. This was God himself speaking to them with authority and challenging the traditions and saying it the way God wanted it to be. Jesus spoke with his own authority. He is the one to whom we should bow down and obey. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that we come to you listening to the teaching commands of Jesus, not in the hopeless sense that we can never live up to them, but knowing that the very thing that opens us up to obeying them is the fact that, first of all, Jesus died for our sins. And he invites us to come and turn to him in faith, trust for forgiveness. And that in doing that, then we are granted your Holy Spirit to live within us, to empower us, to transform us. Father, I know that every one of us here each week falls down and in some way fails to follow faithfully the teaching of Jesus. But we thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for a fresh start. Help us to be people like the wise man whose life and faith stands even in the storms of life because they've chosen to build it on the rock of the teachings of Jesus. And we pray this in that wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.